research fuels our curiosity, which ultimately is what keeps humanity moving forward. Whenever we do, you know, a new research study, I always uncover something that I wasn't planning on uncovering, and it just expands and broadens our perspective to look at things from different perspectives than the one direction that we're, we're thinking of. Research is important. It just informs implementation and it moves the community forward. Welcome to Beyond Research. I'm your host, Stephanie Reed. In this episode, we explore a critical issue, the alarming rates of chronic diseases, presenting challenges for both individuals and our broader healthcare system. Join us as we discuss how research becomes the catalyst for the evolution of healthcare practices, transforming our perspective on preventative medicine and chronic disease management. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonathan Fowles. I'm a professor at uh, Katy University and also the director of the Center of Lifestyle Studies there. Since Dr. Fowles started at Acadia in the School of Kinesiology, he has built an internationally recognized health research program that explores how to prevent, manage, and treat chronic diseases. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Verna McKinnon, and I am a operations consultant with a focus on physical activity for Nova Scotia Health. I work for our primary healthcare and chronic disease management provincial network. In this role, Verna coordinates education resources, creates positions for exercise professionals within Nova Scotia Health, and leads the implementation of a physical activity practice support program. Her work aligns with the primary recommendations from the 2018 Exercises Medicine Nova Scotia report, supported by Dr. Fowles' research. Hi, my name is Joy Chigwe. I am the General Manager of Health Management at the uh, John W. Lindsay YMCA here in Halifax and the Provincial Lead for the Live Well YMCA program. Joy is a clinical exercise physiologist. She is a former student of Dr. Fowles and completed her master's at Dalhousie University, where she studied cancer exercise. As provincial lead for the YMCA Live Well program, she implements findings and recommendations from Dr. Fowles' research. Well, thank you guys all for taking the time to join us here. I know you're all very busy, so we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us this morning on this sunny Tuesday morning. And so to start, Jonathan, how many Nova Scotians suffer from chronic illness? In Nova Scotia, we have one of the highest rates of chronic disease in Canada, anywhere between 45 and 65 percent of Nova Scotians, depending on what age demographic you look at. You know, adults, 45% will have one chronic condition. If you look at people over the age of 65, uh, the average is at least one. And over the age of 65, two-thirds of people have two or more chronic conditions. And uh, diabetes is one of the, the most prevalent ones. It's been doubling every 10 years for the last 30 or 40 years, the, the prevalence rates. And that's partly because we also have in Nova Scotia an aging population. And we know that diabetes prevalence rates increase exponentially with age and, um, you know, those kinds of factors relating to, to that, you know, and then there's the clustering of comorbidities that kind of come up, come along with metabolic disease. So. Right. And can you tell us a little bit, because a lot of the work and research that you've done over the last several years has been focused on those living with chronic disease, mm -hmm. um, specifically your first clinical trial centered around those with diabetes. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So when we, this would be about 2005. And this was when the uh, evidence was emerging that exercise was, you know, a potent thing to treat and manage many chronic conditions and diabetes being one of them. So we wanted to do an intervention in the valley uh, in conjunction with the local hospital and utilizing their cardiac rehab you know, facilities and program. And so we basically adapted it for diabetes and we enrolled diabetes patients and we had, you know, incredible outcomes as we would expect. And, and so from that work, you know, we, we knew that exercise works it, but the key thing that came out of that was if exercise works so well, why aren't so many people with diabetes able to do it? As we've discussed, everyone knows exercise is good for them. Yep. Eating well is good for them. Yep. How do you make those with or without chronic disease adopt that or mm-hmm. do something about that? So can you just describe a day in the life of a trial participant? Yeah. So they were recruited through their normal diabetes appointments Um and we're given the option to participate in the exercise study that was going to go on. And the exercise study was two one-hour exercise classes of a combination of aerobic, like a warm-up, aerobic activity and resistance activity done twice a week, supervised by a clinical exercise physiologist. So somebody like, like Joy or Verna, they are uh, clinical exercise physiologists who can manage exercise for people with chronic conditions. They have specialized training to understand the different conditions and things like that. Basically, the trial participants would be given this option. So that's one of the things is that um, it's voluntary participation so that we recruited people from that diabetes center that was at the hospital as well as a few adjacent diabetes centers that were given the option. And so we enrolled, I think it was 30 um, people with diabetes into the trial. So it wasn't a controlled trial. It was just a basically a pre-post intervention where much like a cardiac rehab program where they come a couple times a week, they're monitored. There's also education piece along with it. And then you look at the outcomes pre to post. And we um, aligned it with normal diabetes care practice where they would have blood work done They would have their A1Cs done, their blood pressure done at pre, and then again at the end of the intervention period, along with some of the questionnaires that we had about how do you feel about physical activity, what's your confidence level, both for the patients as well as the diabetes educators. Um, You know, what is their interaction with the patients? And like, for example, one of the interesting findings that we had from that was that when we surveyed diabetes educators about what is your confidence level in your patient's ability to do physical activity? And how well do you think they will carry through on the recommendations that you give? So they rated their, their patients at about a 40 to 35% level in their confidence in, to do it. And they rated their attitudes as about a two and a half out of five. But then when we actually uh, surveyed the patients, they rated their confidence level at about a 65%, so 25 or 30% higher than what the diabetes educators were thinking their confidence was. And their attitudes were rated at a 6 out of 7 towards physical activity. So what we, by doing that research, we recognize that there's this huge chasm between the expectations and the, the understandings of where that person with diabetes is coming from. So understanding where they're coming from, that they may be very motivated to do something, but they just don't know what to do. And if you don't talk about it in your appointment, then they won't know what to do. And so therefore, it's not necessarily the fault of the diabetes patient for not following through on recommendations that they don't understand and haven't had any help with. 
So that was that education intervention was to explain to the diabetes educators that you need to understand where they're coming from, that they may be motivated, but they need help. And that has been a theme throughout all of the work that we've done with healthcare professionals to help the diabetes patients uh, through that process. Well, why are we keeping it just to diabetes? Like, couldn't this help all chronic conditions and in primary care? And so that's when exercises medicine and that whole development of those workshops that we developed through diabetes care, we just adapted it to primary care in all conditions. At Inverna, I know you're very involved with exercises medicine and specifically the three recommendations within that program. Can you tell us a little bit about exercises medicine Nova Scotia and your work within the research that Dr. Fowles is talking about his exercises medicine work informs the work that we're using to implement these strategies in Nova Scotia Health. Um, so the three main parts of uh, my work are, is to one, to build capacity of our primary healthcare providers to be able to speak to their patients around physical activity. We've developed what we call our physical activity practice support program. Within primary healthcare, we have um, our practice support program is a place where we host resources and education for our providers to learn about a number of different things. And um, our physical activity one includes um, some self-directed education models so that we can build their knowledge around physical activity and then give them some strategies about how they can speak to their patients about physical activity. And we've actually implemented um, some physical activity specialists, kinesiologists within our healthcare system to be able to also provide the service so that our providers have a place that they can refer their patients to to get this service. And all of our, um, a big part of our primary health care um, education strategy is um, embedded in behavior change counseling. So we kind of take that foundation of behavior change counseling and add that physical activity piece to it to educate our providers on how they can take behavior change counseling and apply it to um, physical activity counseling. And so we talked a little bit about some of the barriers between this education and the physicians themselves and and seeing exercise as almost something that should be written on that little notepad. How much progress has been made? And have you seen kind of that needle move a bit? From the work that we started with the diabetes program in Nova Scotia to the national campaign, it was like one third of diabetes educators were talking about physical activity in most of their appointments. And then five years later on a national sample, more than two thirds were talking about it in most of their appointments. So that's a hundred percent change in practice. Then with the physicians, we found similar things, but some of the barriers that we uncovered is that the, the physicians had the same improvements in confidence when we provide them with the education and resources and it changes practice two months and six months later. Um, for the individuals. But what we identified for the physicians is they, they needed more people, places, and programs to refer. They didn't want to be talking about physical activity in a vacuum and that this team collaborative approach um, that they wanted to engage the patient and say, you know, you should be physically active, but they also have the limits of time and expertise that they wanted to refer to an exercise professional to take the ball rolling and or refer to a community program that could help that patient make that behavior change over time. Like Jonathan mentioned, we we're trying to find more people and places for people to go once they're referred to and not putting all the, the pressure on, on the healthcare providers to figure those those things out. So I am a clinical exercise specialist by trade, but now my new position at the Y as general manager of health management is really to improve our 
programming we can offer to improve the quality of life of all Nova Scotians across the YMCA's wherever we are, not just stopping at diabetes, going to cancer, going to other chronic health conditions and making sure that we they know of us, where to go, and knowing that they are in good hands with credible exercise specialists who are taking care of them and making sure that we're improving their quality of life over time and then implementing the behavior change that uh, Vernon mentioned as well. Yeah, and that picks up on some of the research that we'd done where the number one barrier that older adults particularly with a chronic condition have about exercise is fears about their health condition and exercise. And so having people, places, and programs to refer to to support them and empower them to be active in a safe place with clinical exercise physiologists that can support that. That was also something that was identified by just about every single healthcare provider that we surveyed in our Exercises Medicine Nova Scotia report. So Verna, I just wanted to ask you, if we have more people engaged in physical activity and exercise, what impact as a whole, and I know this is a big question, does that have on Nova Scotia's healthcare system? Well, I think the main idea behind it would be you know, Dr. Fowles has talked a lot about the impact that physical activity can have not only on the prevention of some of these chronic diseases, but also on the management. So if we can get, if we have, um, as you mentioned, all these people in Nova Scotia, we have these high rates of chronic disease. If we can get people here moving more, get them managing, and then maybe even preventing the onset of some of these diseases, then maybe the need for them to be in the healthcare system would become less. And we know that here in Nova Scotia, our healthcare system is strained. And what we need to do is we need to increase access. We need to get people more access to primary care. And there's a number of ways that we can do that. And the way physical activity can do it is by reducing the amount of people that use it so that that makes room for the people that do need it at the time. And then the the kind of, we end up getting a balance of self-management and then access to primary care. Joy, what have you seen on the front lines? Like, have you seen a shift? Definitely. So coming from a student of Dr. Fowles back in the day to working in the hospital setting to now in the community, seeing it all transpire and kind of work together has been really interesting to see. So just the referrals we're seeing within the YMCAs and the community across Nova Scotia from different healthcare providers has been really amazing over the last year from physicians to dietitians to nurses to social workers and um, physiotherapists are now understanding that we are here and we need to get people active and they don't have to do it themselves and we are here to help. Um, So like Verna said, more people moving is going to mean less people in that primary care setting because it is strained. And so it's been really, I've been just really great to see from a university students, like, I don't know if this is really going to work to actually being in it and seeing it work every single day has has just been amazing. And I bet you've you know, it's quite rewarding because you probably work with these patients or individuals for a longer period of time. Like what kind of changes have you seen in people? So many. It's it's definitely a rewarding job to have and seeing the spark light up in everyone's eyes saying, oh, I can do this. I can manage my health. I don't need to depend on my doctor to tell me exactly what to do. I can get those resources and tools within the community. Has just been uh, just, I don't know how to put it in words. And then also the accountability and the community that's building and have, seeing the YMCAs be that source in the community because we're all about the power of belonging and making sure people understand we're here to help in many different ways. And so seeing people come in and just asking the right questions and getting the help and the tools and seeing how much more they can progress and manage their own health is is just a great 
feeling for me, but I know for them, they're getting way more out of it than, than I am. So it's a great program to have, to continue to have. And we're just so happy to be part of it and see people grow and be part of different, um, lives and how we're changing everyone's quality of life. The, the one last story I wanted to tell was the very first one that we had with that diabetes program, which was we had one person who, uh, an older lady, you know, 68 years old, uh, very immobile, came in with a walker, uh, needed help to get down the stairs. There was five or six stairs to get down to the exercise thing. And, you know, somebody asked her at the end of the 12 weeks, you know, how has this program affected you? And she said, it's completely changed my life. She said, I used to need this thing. And she pointed to her walker. I used to need this thing everywhere I went. And she goes, now look at me. She takes the walker, puts it over her shoulder and hikes up the stairs. And she goes, that's what's changed. And we see that so much with these programs. And, but it's, it's because they've been supported in that process in a safe, uh, progressive, you know, uh, overload kind of environment that that meets them where they're at, but then builds them up and builds them up not only physically, but also mentally and psychologically as well. You're giving them confidence and yeah. independence. Right. Like, and that's the whole goal is to develop that self-management that Verna talks about, mm-hmm. that when people have that confidence and can manage those things on their own with their own physical activity, sleep, nutrition, those kinds of things, there's going to be less of them you know, seeing a, uh, a primary care doctor. And that's what we get feedback from our doctors that we work with. Like we have three clinical exercise physiologists embedded in in three collaborative family practices in the Valley. And they all say the same thing, that the physicians, once they see those patients that have seen the CEPs and done the exercise programs, that their, their medications are lower, their mood's better, you know. And so that's when the referrals just kind of keep coming. I was just yeah. going to say, they're probably more likely to refer. Yeah. And that's great. And um, Jonathan mentioned, Verna, you're working to get kind of these tools and resources into more communities, into more patients' hands. Can you speak to kind of next steps moving forward, long-term goals for Nova Scotia Health and and what you would like to see in the future? I think kind of where we're at right now is we need to build the relationship between the healthcare system and the community partners and and, see, and do a scan of Nova Scotia currently and say, you know, what's available now and how can we all work together to, to one, give more Nova Scotians access to the resources that are available, make sure we're not duplicating work, decide, you know, what is everybody's role in the process of physical activity and, and how can we take those roles and responsibilities and work together so that we can get these get people more access to these exercise programs that are available. That's, we're, we're kind of in the early stages of the, of the build the relationship. And has, as Dr. Fowles had mentioned, we need to bridge that gap between the healthcare system and the community. We need to start to, we need to learn what's out there and learn what we have and then identify where those gaps are and then see what we can do to kind of build that, to kind of spread and scale it so that, um, more Nova Scotians have access to those programs within the community. My favorite thing about just getting to to do this kind of work is to, to to get to have this awareness and realization that it is that kind of top to bottom and bottom to top, side to side, and, and getting to kind of transition from being the, the kinesiologist on the ground that is working with people now up into this kind of leadership role and getting to, to be here in Nova Scotia Health to create these opportunities for kinesiologists and create these opportunities for um, people to get active 
And then I hope that in the future we can this were I hope that Nova Scotia is going to be the province where they say Nova Scotia has the highest uh, levels of activity rather than the highest levels of chronic disease. And we can kind of change our profile here in Nova Scotia and um, ultimately reduce the amount of people that we have that deal with these um, chronic diseases and uh, reduce the strain on our healthcare system. So big goals. Can you tell us a bit about some of the key outcomes from the research, not just the ongoing outcomes, but some of the other unexpected maybe outcomes of the research? Well, one of the things that we've done in our quality assurance evaluations, especially with the funding that we get from the province, is to show the worth of clinical exercise physiologists in practice. And so we have done cost savings analysis with the number of patients that we have in our programs. And we look at some simple outcomes such as, you know, aerobic uh, fitness score, blood pressure, muscle strength with a grip strength, a sit to stand as an indication of lower body strength and independence and single leg balance tests. And you can use those numbers to infer what cost savings would be. And we've done analysis that shows that our community group exercise programs are at least cost savings to the cost of the, the, the CEP running those programs. And they're more likely like saving two to three times the cost in redu- reductions in um, not only just healthcare utilization because people are healthier. If you take somebody from being someone active to active, you save about $350 a year in just healthcare costs on average. If you take someone from inactive to somewhat active, it's about $600 a year in savings just in reduced healthcare utilization. Specifically, when you're doing exercise and you're improving their strength and balance, the reducing the risk of falls, you only need 11 older adults exercising for a year to reduce their risk of falls um, by about 40%, which means that 11 older adults, you're going to save one serious fall a year, which 50% of which end up in a hospitalization and 25% of those end up in surgery or worse. And so if you have 100 older, older adults exercising for a year, which is at least what we have in the Valley through our programs, you're saving 10 serious falls a year, of which you know 50% of those are going to be hospitalization or otherwise, which costs 25 to 30,000. So the cost savings of those CEP positions can be, the projections are anywhere between two and tenfold savings of the cost of the position. And you can easily justify yeah, that. Yeah, so you can easily justify those in cost savings. Well, thank you all for the work you're doing in this space and continue to do in the space. Enjoy, Verna. Jonathan, thank you so much again for taking the time to chat with us today. And we look forward to keeping on top of what comes next for your team and the research overall. Thank you. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. During this conversation, we've explored potential for transformative impact of research on healthcare practices. Our guests, Dr. Jonathan Fowles, Verna McKinnon, and Joy Chikwe have painted a vivid picture of purpose-led collaborative research extending far beyond the lab. We've explored some of the challenges faced by patients and healthcare providers witnessing the collaborative approach that bridges research, healthcare, and community. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us five stars. 
You can also follow us on social at Beyond Research Podcast and let us know what research topics you would like to hear on the podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.